Welcome to Seeing Eye to Eye, the show about innovation and integration. Why integration and innovation? Because we believe these are key skills for anyone on a path of continual progress, so you can create and successfully live a bold vision for a more meaningful future. We're your hosts. I'm Ash. And I'm Joya. Join us for conversations that are part entrepreneurial strategy, part philosophical discussion, and part personal development tools. If you are or aspire to be a high-performing and exponentially ambitious entrepreneur, thought leader, or creator, this show is for you. Four, three, two. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode three of season one which is an exploration of the 21st century Renaissance human project. Uh, that's a project that uh, was introduced by Joya that we are going to be talking about throughout this season. And uh, if you haven't heard episode one yet, go ahead and make sure you go back and listen to that uh, to be introduced to that general project. And um, basically, the idea is that we want to talk about how to live a more well-rounded, fulfilling, meaningful life. And to do that, we're exploring these different aspects of uh, a full human life that we think everybody should be on the path to developing over the course of their life. And so in today's episode, we want to focus on um, the aspect that we're calling being the athlete. Yeah. So... What is it to be an athlete? Why don't you go ahead and talk about that? Tell us what your definition of that is, Joya. Yeah, so I'm just going to start even with the, the definition that I, I came up with here. So what is it to be an athlete in this broad sense that I think everybody can and ought to pursue? So it's pursuing physical fitness and health regimens for strength, endurance, adaptation, longevity, and vitality. So let's even take a moment and talk about why this matters. Break down some of these important goals here, like longevity, vitality, adaptability. Okay. So yeah, you you uh, introduced those. You you included those in your definition, um, and I think uh, at least a couple of those are pretty self-explanatory. Why why you want to pursue those as goals? Uh, so longevity, obviously, you want to live a longer life. Um, vitality, you want to live uh, a better life. So this is the quantity and the quality of your life. Is there anything else about those that, that you want to focus on here for this uh, aspect of being an athlete? I think these are pretty straightforward, as you're saying. Everybody wants to live a longer life, but also a healthy life, one that we can actually pursue with enjoyment. So longevity, vitality, but adaptability is the more interesting one. The one that yeah. I don't think most people think about. And I think it's the one though that is most important to you and me and particularly this show because it's all about integration. Yeah, it's a little bit more subtle and it's kind of underlying those other two in a way. It's sort of how you live a, a longer and, and better life. It's And the way I, I kind of think about it, um, you know, I, I have this amateur interest in evolutionary biology. And uh, to me, it's really interesting to think about it in those terms, how when um, an organism is exposed to a selective pressure, there are basically two ways that it can respond positively to that. And one way is to become more adapted to that particular pressure in that particular environment. So in other words, it's to, to become more specialized. Mm -hmm. um, but the other way is, is to generalize and to become more adaptable to a broader range of uh, selective pressures and a broader range of, of situations and contexts, uh, environments. And the same thing I think is true uh, for an individual organism, you know, in, in the course of their life. And, and the you know obviously like there's there's a maybe bigger short-term payoff to becoming more specialized and becoming more adapted to that particular situation that you find yourself in at the moment mm -hmm. but but the long-term payoff of becoming more adaptable is is much bigger and i think that's kind of the the strategy that you generally want to pursue uh to the extent possible in order to ultimately live a, a longer and uh fuller more meaningful life, hopefully. 
Um, yeah, I love that. So let's just jump in. So when I think about physical fitness and health regimens, I think broadly we're talking about three different things. We're mm -hmm. talking about nutrition, we're talking about movement, and we're talking about recovery. So what I thought we could do is even just start to explore each of these. We could each maybe share some of our personal practices where each of us currently are at thinking about nutrition, movement, and recovery. And I think some important ideas and principles are going to emerge even just from this discussion. So let's start with nutrition. So why don't you start, Ash? Why, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you are with nutrition in your life right now? Sure, yeah. So uh, to just give a little bit of background, I think I've uh, maybe mentioned in previous episodes that you know I had this very long uh, struggle with, with chronic illness. Mm -hmm. And uh, as a result of that, as I began to recover, I, it was very important for me to um, really get nutrition uh, right in order to to um, make sure that my recovery was proceeding in a, a way that uh, um, you know allowed me to get back on my feet because I was just totally gone for a while but um, and you know prior to that you know I pretty much just whatever you know like I didn't think a lot about <laughs> nutrition honestly. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, because I had pretty good genetics in the sense that I could eat pretty much whatever I wanted and not like put on a lot of weight and things like that. So it just wasn't like a big concern for me until I, you know, because of my health for health reasons, it I, I had to start paying more attention to it. And um, what eventually worked for me was uh, actually initially. Uh, I, you know, had to cut a lot of the sugar out of my diet. And this was, you know, something my doctor recommended as part of my treatment for, for the chronic Lyme disease. But, um, and, and that helped somewhat, but what really made a huge difference for me was actually um, cutting the carbs down even more drastically and, and, and mm. uh, increasing fat and going on a ketogenic diet, which most people have probably heard of by now or a little bit familiar with. Um, and you know, that's the ketogenic diet is maybe not for everybody. It's been studied for a lot of different health reasons and for weight loss and different things. Um, and it has a lot of, you know, neurological benefits for people that, that have issues with that. So, you know, it was originally developed for people that had otherwise untreatable epilepsy and had, you know, really remarkable results with that. Um, and, and for me, especially like it, it really helped with my sleeping issues, which we're going to come to a little bit later yeah. when we talk about recovery. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so it just made just a huge dramatic difference for me really quickly. So for me, that was just um, very clear <laughs> mm -hmm. evidence that I couldn't ignore that, you know, diet and nutrition played a really significant role in, in your health and the quality of, of your life and just how you feel and how you can function. Mm -hmm. um, but so that's just kind of where I'm at right now. I still... I still eat a generally ketogenic diet since I've recovered, you know, pretty significantly from from those health issues. I I'm not as strict with it as I used to be, and I you know I build in a little bit of variation at kind of different time scales. So you know I'll have like a cheat day once a week or so, or like a cheat meal anyway once a week, and up to you know like I'll have a cheat month <laughs> once a year. You know I just take off the holidays, you know, and I kind of eat whatever. But I you know I still. I'm more conscious about what I eat all the time, mm -hmm. um, which I think is, is helpful. But um, yeah, so I think you have a little bit different approach because, you know, haven't, you haven't had these kind of issues with chronic illness. So for you, it's more about um, kind of the enjoyment, maybe a little more. I, there, there's a there's a saying about living to eat versus eating to live that uh, <laughs> you're, you're maybe more on the opposite side of that from me. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I guess this gets back to these issues of longevity and vitality. And so mm -hmm. I think, of course, like everybody, I want to live a long life. But to me, it's also important to prioritize a vital life. And part of a vital life to me is the enjoyment of life. And so even just part of my background, so I'm partly Italian. And I always say it was my Italian grandfather who taught me how to eat. 
And I came from a family where food was such an important, not only an important ritual, but just an important way in which we found pleasure in day-to-day -day life. And that was how I grew up. I mean, I can tell you our family vacations, we literally would schedule and plan our vacations around which restaurants we wanted oh, well. to go to. And depending on which restaurant, that would determine the other activities that we would pursue. Mm. And now even as an adult, I'm married to a fabulous husband who happens to be just an amazing chef. And that's definitely not a coincidence because mm -hmm. this passion for food is, is something we share. And we are definitely people who live to eat. I can't tell you how many hours we often put into certain meals that you eat in just an hour or so. You should see around Thanksgiving in our house, we literally start planning from the very beginning of November when we're starting to dry out pieces of bread so we can make the homemade stuffing and homemade dressing. And we have both stuffing and dressing for the turkey in our family. So the enjoyment of food, as I said, is, is very important to me. So a lot of times I am really looking for this integration between the longevity and the vitality. So yeah. I am trying to pay attention to what it is about foods that make me feel good. I obviously want to be able to feel well and healthy throughout the day, to have a lot of energy, to feel that I can pursue and tackle all the things I want to handle during my day. But I also want to be able to enjoy myself as well. And so it's finding this integration. And so I always even like to point out there's a, a line that, Julia Child famously, I think, borrowed from Oscar Wilde, where mm -hmm. she said, everything in moderation, including moderation. But I know you have mm. a pushback even with that phrase. So yeah. we can go into that a little bit. No, I, I, uh, I like the spirit of that Oscar Wilde line. Um, but <laughs> the this idea of moderation and the way that it's often applied in this context of nutrition, I, I definitely have some issues with. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, like, like you, I mean, I, I do really enjoy food and for a while I, I was definitely more on the eat to live side, but, you know, thankfully nowadays, even just a few years later when, when I started doing the ketogenic diet, when hardly anybody had heard of it, you know, there's a lot more options available now. Um, but it's still like a, a challenge to, you know, I guess it for me it made me have to be really aware of specifically what i was eating and like really looking at the details right mm -hmm. whereas this idea of moderation just uh, the way i see a lot of people use it is just as kind of like this vague way of sort of justifying whatever their <laughs> existing eating practices are mm -hmm. right um mm -hmm. and because th this concept of moderation is it's an inherently relative term right exactly and so there's really no way to know what is actually a moderate amount of something without kind of understanding what the healthy you know the general healthy range would be and and then kind of trying to stay towards the middle of that mm -hmm. and and there's generally no effort to do that <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh and also it's just you know even knowing what kind of the general healthy range for you know kind of like a, a population would be doesn't necessarily mean that that would be kind of the healthiest approach for a particular individual in a particular context, right? Exactly. Um, I totally hear what you're saying because I think you're right that the concept of moderation is just not quite right. It's getting at something important, which is mm -hmm. about variety and it's about integration, but it doesn't actually give us a useful standard for figuring out what is an optimal way to integrate or an optimal yeah. way to introduce variety into what it is that we do. Yeah, so and I think right. you actually- and people just use it in a totally self-justifying way. So, you know, right. if I was the kind of person who ate, you know, three meals of fast food every day and I'm down to just one fast food meal a day, hey, I'm eating moderately. That's moderate, right? <laughs> exactly. But, but it's not necessarily this... healthy. <laughs> For sure, exactly. Um, but with this idea of variety, so, I think you had a way of kind of introducing um, that idea at a very basic level when you would teach uh, kids about kind of healthy living concepts and things. Yeah, so part of my background is even as a yoga teacher and I've taught 
kids yoga. And one of the delightful ways that we taught variety in eating to kids was this idea of eating a rainbow of your fruits mm -hmm. and vegetables. So on the one hand, emphasizing that they should be eating fruits and vegetables, but that you shouldn't just even be eating the same vegetable or the same fruit, but that you should be getting a rainbow. You should be having right. red fruits and vegetables, orange, yellow, green. The blue and purple is the hard one, but blueberries, eggplants, all mm. of that. Yeah, and I do think that's kind of moving in the right direction, and that's a good way of kind of introducing the basic idea of variety. Um, but it's still a little bit vague, and it, it kind of works because uh, with plant foods, you know, the reason that a lot of those plants have these different colors is because of the different nutrients that they contain. So that's kind of like a good rough proxy for getting a range of these nutrients into your diet. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, you still want to be, you know, a little bit more specific and detailed in terms of figuring out what it is that you actually need in your diet and making sure that you're getting that right. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I guess the, the way to break that down, so we've been talking kind of a little bit already about, you know, this idea of variety and that's kind of um, addressing this issue of micronutrients and how you, you know, get, get these, you know, very particular nutrients into your diet to make sure you don't, you know, wind up with scurvy or something. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's also this this bigger issue of of macronutrients, uh, which I guess we also touched on a little bit, you know, with uh, talking about you know a ketogenic diet kind of thing, or whatever. But um, but you know that's just kind of the general idea of making sure you're getting enough energy, right? And and there's you know this is kind of where a lot of debate in nutrition is these days, because like a lot of the micronutrients, even though you know, there's still, you know, lots of studies coming out about like whether this particular mic micronutrient is, is as important or whether you need, you know, 800 milligrams a day or a gram a day or whatever. Um, but generally, you know, like if people are eating a, a diet that has a fair amount of variety of these kind of plant foods, like you were talking about, you're probably getting enough of what you need to make sure that you can, uh, you know, generally function. Um, but there's, you know, what seems to be kind of more controversial uh, right now is at this macronutrient level. Um, so you have like, you know, these low carb diets, you have people that are critical of that kind of thing. Um, is is that like, do you have a dog in that fight or do you want to weigh in on that? Or <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would just say that I think there is this question of even how do you as the person who's trying to figure out what makes sense for your life, how do you handle some of the controversies and the debate that's going on at this higher level? Because there is an important issue, you're already bringing this up, that even certain scientific studies that are valid for a certain statistical population, you may not be part of that statistic. So it's important to figure out what actually makes sense for you. So there's a whole practice, I believe, of wanting to experiment and continually experiment because not only are you different from everybody else, but you are also changing and evolving over time. So the diet that's working for you perfectly right now may not be the same if your lifestyle changes and just even from aging. And then right. there's a way of thinking about how do you bring in some of these wider debates that are happening in the culture into your own personal experimentation. And I know sure. you had some really interesting thoughts about, for example, even the debates about carbs and sugar. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I was listening just uh, in the last couple of months to a podcast with uh, Stefan Guianet, who is one of the most prominent critics of Gary Tobbs, who is you know well known as the author of uh, Good Calories, Bad Calories, and The Case Against Sugar, Why We Get Fat, and these kind of things. He's one of the most prominent uh, authors out there in the low-carb camp. And um, I think what's interesting to me, there is is kind of this meta point that you're bringing up about how to even uh, think about these issues. And, you know, for a lot of people, maybe the way that they're eating for them are already is kind of generally working for them. So they, they don't necessarily have a huge um, stake in it at the moment at this point in their lives. But, you know, if you have like a chronic illness or you need to eat a, a particular way in order to feel your best and to be able to, you know, perform optimally, um, I think it can be really helpful to really, when you're looking into these things, to make sure that you're actually 
looking at it from a range of perspectives. So even looking at multiple sides of, of these big debates on these kind of issues that are very complex and controversial. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, you know, when I was researching all of this nutrition stuff, when it became really important for, for my health, um, I did, you know, I read a lot of Gary Tobbs's books and I found them really interesting. Um, but I also, you know, I read some of his, uh, his, his critics. So, you know, one of another major critic of his is a guy named T. Colin Campbell, who's the author of the China study, which at the time that it came out was, uh, the largest study on nutrition that had been published. And it was uh, a study that he, he uh, it was like a long-term study that he did in China on a you know, very large uh, sample of people. Um, and in his study, you know, he concluded that the carbohydrates weren't really that big of an issue. And um, it was, he thought that protein was really kind of more of an issue that was causing some of these chronic health issues that, uh, that you know, we're becoming more concerned about. And and particularly animal protein. So he he advocated mm -hmm. a more kind of plant-based whole food kind of diet and, you know, decreasing processed foods and things like that. Um, but what was interesting to me, he wrote another uh, very short book called The Low-Carb Fraud. So he's very uh, explicit in his uh, mm -hmm. opposition to the general low-carb way of eating. And, um, you know, he had an appendix in there where he actually explicitly talked about and criticized uh, Gary Tobbs. But you know, even in that book, you know, he, he acknowledged, he's like, well, most Americans probably would benefit from eating a significantly or from significantly reducing their carbohydrate intake in their diet. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's like when even, you know, when you have a debate where there's one side that's very extreme, taking the extreme position, and the other side is saying, well, they have a point, they're just take, taking it too far. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that kind of tells you something. That there um, is a point. <laughs> yeah. And it's the same with Stephen Gannay's criticisms of Gary Todd's. You know, he's he says similar things as well. He just, uh, you know, thinks that, you know, the worries about carbs are somewhat overblown, and you know, and maybe, you know, eating more fat like the ketogenic diet advocates is not necessarily the best thing for everybody, which is mm -hmm. probably true. Um, and you know, and so I so I read you know, some of those books. And I read, you know, a book called The Good Gut by uh, Stanford University researchers, Justin and Erica Sonnenberg, that are they're pioneers uh, in the field of, of studying the microbiome, your gut bacteria. And mm -hmm. so they advocate, you know, they think that most people should be eating a lot more uh, fiber than we generally do. So, uh, so I was, I think the, the point that I'm, I'm uh, trying to make is with these kinds of very complex issues, it's good to look at this range of perspectives and figure out the points from across this range that you think are valid and figure out a way to incorporate them and integrate them into uh, a strategy that works for you given your particular context, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's what you know I did and I tried to you know like increase my fiber, increase you know mm -hmm. my unprocessed plant intake, but also, move towards like a lower carb, more ketogenic way of eating. And that worked really well for me. Um, but again, like you say, it's, this is something that is, there is a wide range of possibilities here and that is going to be different for different people in different situations and at different stages of their life. So again, like, I think what we want to stress here, especially for nutrition is the importance of experimenting and kind of continual experimentation and, and, uh, making sure you're kind of fine-tuning what uh, works best for you over, uh, you know, across your life. I love that. And the one thing I would want to add there too is I think we want to experiment with practices and we also want to experiment with tools. I think this is even, just to tie this back to our 21st century Renaissance Human Project, this is one of the fascinating things about the era that we're living in is that there are all these exciting emerging technologies that can help us measure some of these different protocols and regimens. So for example, when you were bringing up the idea of the microbiome, I know one of the tools I'm fascinated to start looking at are these tools that allow you to measure your own individual microbiome. Because one of the interesting things about that phenomenon is that everyone's microbiome is different and it also can change even perhaps rapidly depending on the diet that you're eating. Yes. So being able to have these tools that allow us to experiment, get feedback, and then be able to even modify the practices 
that we're experimenting with. Yeah, totally agree. Um, all right, is there anything else you want to add on nutrition or do you want to move on to the next component? Yeah, let's move on and let's talk about movement. Okay, yeah, so movement is something I know uh, you have been a yoga coach, so that's something that you have thought a lot about and have a lot of experience with. So why don't you go ahead and start us off on that and tell us about your practice? Yeah, so it's true. I've been certified in yoga, Pilates. I've also recently gotten into practicing Tai Chi and some Kung Fu exercises. But I wanted to mention, we were talking about what are our personal practices. Right now, the personal practice that I've been experimenting with that I find works really well for me is this idea of, in popular culture, it's sometimes even referred to as the seven-minute workout. But this is an idea of, it's also often referred to as minimum effective dose workouts. And I guess everybody can Google seven minute workout. Although honestly, I will tell you really, it's more like a 10 minute workout because ideally there's a minute of warm ups, a seven minute high intensity workout, and then two minutes of stretching. But I find even for me personally, on days when I am just completely overwhelmed, feel that I have so much going on, I can't make it to the gym, I can't commit to doing a full hour or even a half an hour of a practice, or even on the other end of the spectrum, on days when I'm just feeling sluggish and tired, I can always do 10 minutes. I can make 10 minutes fit into my schedule. And so that's just become part of my routine now. Literally, I get up in the morning, I use the bathroom, and I hit the mat. I do my 10 minute workout every day. And I can commit to that, to doing that every single day. And then if I can later in the day, go to a yoga class, go to a Pilates studio. Sometimes I even just want to take my bike out and go for a ride or go for a walk. If I can go to a Tai Chi or Kung Fu class, I can add and incorporate all these other ways of moving into my day, but at least I know I've gotten my 10 minutes in at the beginning mm -hmm. of the day. Yeah. Um, and I do something kind of similar just as far as the, the basic um, fitness routine goes. I, I do uh, like a, you know, about a 10 minute, just high intensity training workout. And I actually, you know, just for an example of that, um, if people want to check something out, um, we can put like a link yeah. uh, in the show notes to a YouTube video that I kind of use and, and follow and vary a little bit. It's called James Steele's body weight routine from a channel called Hit Uni, High Intensity Training University. Um, you know, he just goes through it 10 minutes really quick. He just, you know, uh, a quick workout that's includes push-ups, chin-ups, wall sits, squat, dips, inverted rows, and planks. But, um, you know, I'm sure you can easily find just with a quick search on YouTube, just a ton of videos on, on different things and you can find something that works well for you. Um, and then, you know, I, I guess there's a couple directions we can take this now. You know, one is just even kind of like more basic than that in terms of uh, just having more movement in your life and not living a sedentary life. Um, because, you know, one thing that we, we talked about a little bit in our, in our prep chat yesterday when we were discussing this is people sometimes think that exercise is is uh, something that they should do for weight loss. And that is actually, you know, a, a really common mistake. But but exercise really is not something to do to lose weight because it really does not substantially increase your uh, the amount of calories you're burning just over your base metabolic rate. Mm -hmm. And then over time, even if you are, you know, really increasing your, your uh your physical activity levels significantly, your, your uh, body will actually adapt to that and kind of reset to your base metabolic rate anyway. Um, so, so that said, I don't want to minimize the importance of exercise for a couple of reasons. First of all, because these actually aren't totally independent variables and, you know, studies have shown that people who work out more actually tend to start eating better. Mm -hmm. uh, because they, you know, don't want to just, if they, if they put all that effort into working out, like there's a bit of a psychological mm -hmm. thing where, where they're like, oh, I don't want to totally Ruin blow it. that out by like eating a box of donuts or whatever. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, some people will do the opposite and they'll use the, like, <laughs> well, I did my workout. I could justify that donut now. Right. Mm 
Um, but that aside, you know, there are also plenty of studies showing the, the dangers of living a really sedentary lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So, so exercise is really important, just not directly for the purpose of losing weight. Um, and so, so, yeah, go ahead. I would say, so I guess this gets to what really ought to be the goal of your exercise practice or your movement practice. So I really wanted to share here something that I've learned from my favorite teacher, uh, Leslie Kamenoff, and I I brought the book to show. So this is Yoga Anatomy by Leslie Kamenoff and his wonderful co-author, Amy Matthews. And they get into this idea of the goal of a movement practice ought to be for what we've been calling adaptability. And why this is so important to think about when you're thinking about movement. So I even wanted to share, so I definitely recommend this book, Yoga Anatomy. And if you get it and start exploring, you'll notice that the beginning of the book, they really go in depth into the anatomy of breath. And so they begin even by talking about why looking at the breath is so important. And so they say, breathing has the dual nature of being both voluntary and autonomic which is why the breath illuminates the eternal inquiry about what we can control or change and what we cannot. We all face this personal yet universal inquiry at some point if we desire to evolve. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, Um, and one thing to even say about this, so Leslie points out that a common mistake that even a lot of yogis make is that they get trapped into one habitual breath pattern. So if you go to a yoga class, there is a particular type of breathing technique called ujjayi that's very frequently taught because it is very effective for doing a yoga exercise asana practice. But this is a breath where it's a deep breath where you're inhaling through the nose and then slowly exhaling out the nose as well with a very slow, steady exhale. And if you go to a yoga class, you'll learn this technique and you will be encouraged to practice it. And it is a very great technique to practice if you are doing yoga poses and you're trying to do this exercise where you're trying to get yourself into these interesting poses and do this this very energizing practice. But Mm -hmm. it's not a breath technique that you want to practice all the time. So for example, if you're just lying down, sleeping or resting, you don't want to be doing this breath practice because it's actually not optimal for the metabolic demands of just resting. So Leslie always makes this point that there's no no such thing as one right way of breathing. It's about finding the breath that is appropriate for the metabolic demands of what you are doing at the time. And so it's all about this ability to adapt. Okay. So he's saying um, that, you know, the breath is interesting because it, it's this combination of uh, the, the voluntary and the involuntary. And what he's saying is that by kind of automatizing this one particular way of breathing, they're actually making it too involuntary, right? Mm-hmm. Is that? Okay. Yeah, that's well, interesting. And it, well, I, I, there's there's two points here, really. So there there is this one point that just that what often happens where these yogis go wrong is they learn this one breath practice and then mm-hmm. it becomes an unconscious habitual practice. Right. They but get he stuck actually has, in the rut. They get stuck in the rut, and he actually has a really great quote about this too. He says, um, and it's not just about breathing. This is about sort of all all sorts of movement patterns that we get stuck in. But mm-hmm. he says. Habitual tension accumulates over a lifetime of operating our muscular pulleys and fulcrums against the constant pull of gravity and the constant modulations of our breathing patterns is invoked as a way of regulating our internal emotional landscape. These postural and breath habits operate mostly unconsciously unless some intentional change is introduced into the system by a practice like yoga. This is why we often refer to yoga as a controlled stress experience. And so here they're talking about yoga as your exercise practice, but really you can do this, I think, in yoga or any kind of intentional exercise practice, that the whole point is to make conscious 
what has otherwise become just an unconscious habit or pattern in your way of moving or breathing. So that what exercise allows you to do is to become more conscious and intentional and purpose, purposefully practice so that you can perhaps have greater flexibility, greater strength, greater endurance so that you can adapt to a variety of circumstances and contexts. Okay. Yeah. So by, you know, practicing like this one particular posture or movement over and over without introducing more variation into their practice, uh, they're actually, they're becoming, you know, better adapted to that one particular movement or range of movements, but actually limiting their adaptability to the broader range that is actually more helpful for, you know, a different range of situations. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and I think you, you, so you mentioned these different areas um, that you actually are wanting to uh, to work on the stability and strength, the flexibility and the endurance and, and the adaptability. So those are kind of like the core areas uh, in this component of movement to, that we want to develop for our, our general physical fitness. Mm-hmm. Right, these ideas of strength, endurance, stability and flexibility. But what I think is interesting is the whole point of this is for adaptability, that it precisely allows you to be able to adapt to the different contexts, conditions, and circumstances that will happen in your life. Sure. Yeah. And I guess uh, just to kind of take that back to my experience a little bit, you know, with, you know, at different parts of your life and dealing with different health issues and things, you might have to adapt to, you know, even your, your exercise routine to different things. So, Actually, you know, and when my health originally collapsed, one of the first symptoms was um, that, you know, I was at the time I had a personal trainer and I was going to the gym and, you know, normally you work out and then you come back the next time and you should be able to do more, right? You should be able to increase your your weight or your reps or whatever. And I was actually getting worse every time. Mm. And uh, in retrospect, you know, I I learned is because, um, you know, one of the the symptoms of, of my, my health issues was I was having uh, thyroid problems and then that can cause problems with the way that your muscles, mm-hmm. um, you know, respond to, you know, oxygen and, 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 uh, so that, you know, instead of rebuilding after you tear them down, they, they're not able to do that and you're not able to recover. So, uh, so I had to, you know, focus on getting those issues, uh, dealt with first before I could, you know, address these uh, other issues of, uh, you know, being able to do that kind of strength training again. And so just in the meantime, like I've, um, you know, like I said, tried to increase my general movement and not be as sedentary. So just through things like being aware of walking. And so you mentioned kind of with the nutrition, the kinds of tools and uh, health tracking technologies that we have. So even just like using a step counter or something, right? Mm-hmm. Which can have, you know, there can be issues around that in different situations, but, you know, in that situation for me, it was definitely very helpful. Um, but, you know, now that I've recovered more, you know, I was able to start doing a more strength training practice again, which we got into with like the high intensity training, seven minute workout kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and now I'm to the point where I'm trying to like go even beyond that and mm-hmm. um, find a really good, you know, more advanced kind of workout to do. Um, I haven't explored yoga as much uh, which is maybe something I should look into because, you know, it sounds really philosophically interesting from that book you were reading from. Mm-hmm. Um, but this I think one of the, definitely is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think just kind of the, the more, the broader point that I would make there though, is just, I think it's important to find something that, you know, works for you in your situation, both not in terms of, you know, the quality of the workout or, you know, the quantity of the workout, you know, that you're actually, you know, exerting whatever muscular strength and, doing to improve over time, but also the quality. So kind of related to the, the, you know, nutrition thing with the eating to live versus living to eat. It's, you know, working out to live versus living to, to, to move, you know, moving to live versus living to move, say. Um, so I think it's important to find something that is enjoyable and improves your quality of life as well as, you know, maybe contributing to your quantity of life in the long run. 
so for me, you know, like I've tried different things. Like I, I tried uh, doing CrossFit for a while, and there were things about that that I really liked um, that were engaging and, and helpful, I thought. Um, but there are other things that were um, maybe not as good for me where I am now. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that I would recommend that I've, I've heard other people talk about um, is maybe just like even think about, you know, the kinds of physical activities that you enjoyed when you were a kid, you know, like mm -hmm. I love playing like on the playground, you know, swinging on the monkey bars and stuff like that. So one of the things that I've been interested in looking more into is maybe like a gymnastic uh, practice, you know, like actually um, doing some sort of gymnastic program as uh, a way to address these, these issues of stability and flexibility and strength and endurance and mm -hmm. adaptability. Um, did you want to add something there? One thing I wanted to add was even just to take it back to, I think we're already seeing some of these themes and principles that are emerging in this conversation. And one mm -hmm. is this idea of variety. So yeah. again, here too, just having this variety of movement. Um, another one of the things that Leslie and Amy love to say, they have this idea that healthy movement is well distributed movement mm -hmm. and so this idea that one of the ways to be unhealthy is even to repetitively strain or work one body part or one let's say way of moving it's actually interesting because some of the things that we've observed over time now is that even people who we might think of as being quote unquote healthy like traditional athletes we're calling this the athlete episode but there are certain athletic practices where, for example, if you're doing the same repetitive motion again and again, like golfers, for example, do this, right? The way you would do a golf swing or, or if you're playing baseball, the way you would swing a bat, that mm -hmm. it's important to then also introduce a kind of counterbalancing workout so that you actually are doing a very full body workout, that you're getting a variety of movements into your life. Right. This idea that that you don't want to just be taxing the same body part or doing the same repetitive motion again and again. Yeah. And I, I love this concept of that healthy movement is well distributed movement so that there is this integration again of different body parts and different systems all coming together to support whatever it is that you're trying to do. Yeah. Some of those repetitive motion injuries are even so well known for particular, uh, types of sports that they're even named for that, mm -hmm. you know, like tennis elbow or whatever, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's, that's a good point too. Um, yeah, so do you wanna go ahead and move into the, that third component? Yeah, so let's talk about recovery. So this is the one that I think is even most interesting. And mm. as, as, so I, I work now very much as a high performance coach, coaching people one-on-one. -on -one. I think I've, I've mentioned before that I've studied life coaching and high performance coaching, creativity coaching. But one of the most interesting, important and counterintuitive things that I've learned about high performance is that if you are someone who wants to perform at a very high level consistently and over time, it is very important to actively prioritize rest. Yeah. And that's something that's very difficult for a lot of, you know, really driven high performers to, to do uh, because you can feel like, especially, you know, probably we're going to talk about one of the most or maybe probably the most important um, component of this is sleep. And a lot of high performers just feel like sleeping is a waste of time. Like the less sleep you can get by on, the better, right? Because then that leaves you more time for more important things. Mm -hmm. uh, well, so I, what what's wrong with that? <laughs> I was going to say... I. I know before we were talking about how you hate the phrase everything in moderation. Well, one of the common catchphrases in the culture that I absolutely hate is this phrase that uh, you can sleep when you're dead. Because mm -hmm. in a very important respect, sleep and death are exact opposites. Death is all about disintegration. It is how the body disintegrates, where sleep is all about recovery. It's how we actually integrate both physically and interestingly, even mentally, we might start to get into this too, that what happens during the brain during sleep to, to increase your mental capacity and performance. But mm -hmm. sleep is such 
an important component of how you are able to live a high performance life. Where I see people go wrong all the time, exactly what you're saying, these people who have great goals and they are driven, but what happens? They push themselves, they push, 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 and then they crash and burn out. And they get into this really awful, vicious cycle of push, crash, and burnout. Instead of adapting a practice that would allow them to consistently be able to perform at their best, at a high level. And perhaps the most critical element of being able to be highly active and a high performer is you have to get your sleep. Yeah. You have to get your recovery. For sure. Yeah. I, and, you know, I, uh, I can kind of understand both sides of that. You know, <laughs> to go back to my own experience, you know, my, mm -hmm. when my health collapsed, the, the major symptom um, was sleep problems. And for a long time, the, the best diagnosis I could get was idiopathic hypersomnia, which just means, you know, I slept way too much and they didn't know why. Uh -huh. And, you know, the sleep study I had done showed I was spending less than half as much of my uh, sleep cycle in, in deep stage four and, and REM sleep. So, you know, recovery as a normal adult. And it was, you know, very erratic and interrupted. So I would basically have to sleep more than twice as long as a regular adult to get the same amount of rest. Uh, so I was spending, you know, 16 to 18 hours a day in bed for years and, um, you know, it was, which is really debilitating. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I, you know, when I finally got diagnosed with Lyme disease and started treating that and began to recover. The I, last thing like, you wanted the, to do was sleep, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> on the one hand, I can kind of understand the people who are like, oh, I can sleep when I'm dead because mm -hmm. it's like, I've already slept enough for one lifetime. <laughs> mm -hmm. But on the other hand, you know, I have this, you know, it gave me this really deep appreciation for how important sleep is because, you know, like you were saying, just for physical and mental recovery, um, you know, if you're not getting good sleep consistently over a long period of time, it takes a huge toll on your ability to function both physically and mentally. And I, you know, experienced mm -hmm. that in about as extreme a form as, as you can. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, I, I definitely, you know, like if somebody could come up with a way to give us the same amount of recovery in less time, I think that would be great. I would be all for that. But as it is, like that recovery is so important and so crucial that, you know, even if it takes eight or nine hours a day to get that amount of recovery, that is absolutely necessary. And that is something that we definitely need to actively prioritize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one point to make here, just to tie this back into the idea of the 21st century Renaissance Human Project. One of the things that we were talking about, even in our first episode exploring this idea, was how now in the 21st century, one of the things that I think is great about evolving technology is that more people are able to live self-directed lives and schedules. We're, we're able to do our work on our own time. But one of the things about that is that it's easy then to say, well, who cares about sleep? I can, I don't have to live dictated by the alarm clock, but I don't you know, have to then worry about my sleep when this is the exact opposite that we need now, I think, to be even more conscious and intentional about prioritizing our sleep and about, it really is about prioritizing recovery. So I totally hear you that what's really necessary is the ability to recover. And maybe someday scientists will discover ways that we can recover in less than eight hours. But given what we know now, the eight hours is still, the seven to eight hours is what is recommended for most people. But again, yeah. here there, there's, there's, well, there's two points that I wanna say here. One, there are, again, interesting tools that are now being developed to help us measure our sleep because it's not just that you spend, you know, seven or eight hours lying in the bed. It's that you're actually going through these different cycles of sleep and getting the deep sleep and deep recovery. So there are all these new and emerging tools that help us measure that. And then there are also practices that we can insert into the day that can help us recover as well and exploring what some of those are yeah. to, to help maximize this recovery aspect so before, of performance. Yeah, yeah, let's get into those. But before, I, I just want to comment on a couple of things that you said there. So I, I oh, yeah. uh, definitely agree that, that, you know, the increased freedom and control over our schedules comes with this increased responsibility to make sure that we're actually um, prioritizing the things that help us uh, function at an optimal level. Um, 
And then, yeah, I, I definitely agree about the how helpful a lot of these new tools can be as well. And some of them, you know, they're still relatively primitive. Like I think most of the commercially available uh, sleep tracking kind of tools and apps are, are mostly just using kind of how much you're moving around during the night as sort of a rough proxy for how deep of sleep that you're getting. And, you know, that's good as far as it goes. It's better than nothing. And it's a good first step. Um, and hopefully, you know, now that those technologies have, have uh, begun to be implemented, you know, that the the more uh, sophisticated and tools that, you know, scientists have in the lab, you know, for measuring your sleep <laughs> will um, soon make it into commercial products where we can be much more um, precise about how we are uh, adapting that. And then I actually do think um, it's not out of the realm of possibility that, you know, some of these tools will ultimately be developed to actually be able to enhance our sleep in ways that will maybe make mm -hmm. it so that our recovery time will be shortened, you know, like I think they actually have started doing studies in labs where they can manipulate your brainwave patterns to, you know, simulate mm -hmm. the restful sleep and things like that. So, mm -hmm. so that kind of thing will be super cool. Um, I totally but, agree. But yeah, but apart from sleep, uh, like how else can we recover during the day after, you know, we've expended our, our mental and physical energy? What other kinds of practices are there that we can uh, utilize? Yes, so I did want to make sure to mention just some other recovery practices that you can use throughout the day. One of the great things about these is they allow us to take a break, often get recovery in the middle of the day so that we can then approach the second part of the day with more energy because we've gone through recovery. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these practices can even also help us get better sleep at the end of the day. Right. But so even things like saunas and salt baths have been shown to be very helpful for people to help them recover more things like massage or even a gentle yoga class so there's all different types of ways to practice yoga there are definitely more uh, intense ways to practice yoga but there are also gentle restorative yoga practices or classes that you could explore that would help with recovery but one of the most basic and i think it's wonderful that it's becoming very popular now in our culture ways to achieve this recovery even during the middle of the day is to start developing a meditation practice and yes. this is definitely something else that i that has become incredibly important in in my life i i am and have been a meditation teacher and i definitely love introducing encouraging and helping people incorporate meditation into their daily lives so that you can have this recovery that allows you to perform at your best. Right, yeah, and meditation is something that I uh, kind of discovered and got into a few years ago, you know, as part of my recovery from my health issues as well. And uh, it's been extremely helpful for me as well. Um, I just, this is something we could probably do a whole episode on, just exploring yes. <laughs> the different facets and aspects mm -hmm. and different types of meditation. Exactly. Uh, there's there's so much interesting stuff going on there. Um, mm -hmm. But I guess just to you know stick with what's relevant to the the topic at hand here. Um, yeah, I think it definitely certain certain types of meditation, kind of like you were saying, with certain types of yoga that are more geared towards this uh, this goal of of recovery. And I, I think you know it's probably because those those types of yoga are very meditative types of practices, exactly. right? Mm -hmm. um, so maybe you can tell us a little more about that, how, how these meditative practices can contribute to recovery. Yeah, well, one of the things I actually thought we would do is I thought maybe I could just lead everybody through a very simple one-minute meditation. But mm -hmm. one of the points to make is that the practice that I'm going to lead you through is a breathing meditation. And one of the interesting things about that is that by even focusing on the breath and trying perhaps to slow the breath, but interestingly, even just bringing your attention to the breath can start to change the breathing pattern in a way that encourages more rest and relaxation. Right. So, and, sorry, I think we're getting a bit of background noise here. So I just maybe want to wait until that's done before we actually start the meditation. Okay, so why don't you go ahead and uh, guide us through a quick one-minute meditation, Joya? Sounds excellent. 
So we're going to take this minute to pause. So wherever you are, I want you to bring your attention to your feet. Feel your feet firmly pressing into the floor, the ground underneath you. Then bring your attention to your spine. Reach through the spine. Reach through the top of the crown of the head. So you're reaching up toward the sky. But let your shoulders relax and glide down your back. Let your jaw relax. And for this practice, it is recommended to smile. So now you'll bring your attention to your breath. Don't try to change or manipulate the breath, but just notice the sensation how it feels as it enters your body, how it feels as you exhale. And together we'll do a deep breath together, a nice long deep inhale, and an even longer exhale. And then come back to attention. That is your quick one minute meditation. How does that feel? That felt good. I liked uh, releasing the tension from my jaw because I actually do tend to hold a lot of tension there for some reason. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I've been lots on of people do. Shoulders and jaw, it's the biggest, the biggest ones. Okay. Glad it's not just me. <laughs> <laughs> but now hopefully we're all recovered to take this show to the end. I think yeah. we're getting towards the end here. So let's kind of tie it back together because so we, we've kind of analyzed out these three major components of, of physical fitness, of nutrition and movement and recovery. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, one thing that we really want to remember and emphasize is that ultimately this is all part of a whole. This is all integrated. So you really can't like all of these are interconnected. And, mm -hmm. you know, we, we talked a little bit about how, you know, movement and, and nutrition are related. Obviously, nutrition is very important, you know, for for physical exercise. Um but also, you know, recovery is is very closely uh, interrelated with these because, you know, if you're not moving and you're not getting good nutrition, that really can affect your ability to to sleep and recover and vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, there are some of these other common threads that have been kind of emerging through this discussion. Uh, so, what what are what are some of these threads? That, that you've uh, picked up on, Joya? One of the most important ones I've seen is even just this idea that there's not some one platonic ideal, that all of this is contextual. It's contextual mm -hmm. to you as an individual and it changes over time. And I guess that maybe gets into the next one we wanted to talk about, this theme that's emerged of experimentation, why it's important to experiment with both practices and tools over time so that you find what is working best for you. Right. And yeah, also the importance of variety. And, uh, mm -hmm. I, and I, I think it is really important to remember that there's not one right way to do this for everybody. Exactly. And there's not even necessarily one right way for a particular person to do this, mm -hmm. you know, because like you said, it can change over time. Mm -hmm. And even at a particular time for a particular person, you know, there, there can be a range, a, a range of, of, or, uh, or just different ways of accomplishing the same goals. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, so we don't, we definitely don't want to be sort of dogmatic about this or, or rigid. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, another, another really important point is just, and kind of tying back to the experimentation, is really approaching this with a scientific mindset. Just mm -hmm. kind of looking forward to this other aspect of being a 21st century Renaissance mm -hmm. person of being a scientist that we'll be discussing mm -hmm. in a few weeks. Um, you really want to focus on measuring how these different practices, different practices affect these overarching goals of adaptability and longevity and vitality. Um, you know, yeah. whether that's using these different kinds of tools that you, you talked about or, you know, just being familiar with the, the actual scientific literature on, on some of these issues. 
Exactly. And one thing I'd say is we can even tie this back, I think, to our previous episode, which was all about the entrepreneur. I would suggest you can even approach this as an entrepreneur, the way we discussed that role in a broad sense in our last episode, that you want to start up a project that is mission-driven to optimizing your life and your fitness and to be results-oriented about the practices and the tools that you're experimenting with. Yeah, I like that. Uh, approaching your own uh, life in terms of your physical health and fitness as as a, an enterprise. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Great. Okay, so. Um, I think it's time for recommended resources. Yeah, let's move into our recommended resources. Do you want to go first on that? Yeah, so I already talked about the book that I recommended, Yoga Anatomy by Leslie Kamenoff and Amy Matthews. And the other main resource I wanted to recommend today is actually an app. So if you're interested in meditation and exploring really a variety of styles and practices in meditation, I recommend this app called Insight Timer. They have subscriptions that you can pay for, but many of them I find are incredibly reasonable. And one of the best things is they offer a bunch of free meditation. So here's an ability to try out a variety of different meditation techniques and practices and do it all from your phone. Great. Yeah, I'm actually going to be looking for a new meditation app in the next month or two here. So I'll definitely have to check that one out. And also I still need to... Yeah, yeah, inside timer, and I'll have to. I still need to pick up that uh, yoga anatomy as well. Uh, sounds really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I uh, I have a couple of recommendations as well as usual. One of them is a book. Uh, this is Go Wild by John J. Rady and Richard Manning, mm-hmm. um, and this is just one of the best books I've I've read. Just kind of on all around fitness, and uh, you know, so they have chapters on. Uh, you know, food and nutrition and on movement and on rest and sleep um, and on awareness. Um, and, you know, and they tie it in both from kind of like an evolutionary perspective, uh, but also the more recent research on these topics and and on um, kind of like the neurological underpinnings of all of these things and how it all fits together. So uh, definitely really enjoyed this book and got a lot out of it. So highly recommend that for people who want to dig more into these topics. That's Go Wild by John Rady and Richard Manning. Uh, and then the other recommendation I had today is actually a podcast I've, I think I've referenced a couple times on this show before. It's called Human OS Radio, um, which the website is just humanos.me slash podcast. And then they have, you know, a blog and stuff there where they have articles and things. Um, but they just have on their podcast, they have a variety of guests, usually researchers in these different health related uh, areas. So, you know, some of the recent episodes, you know, is the paleo diet good or bad for aging with uh, Michael Rose, who's a really, um, you know, prominent sleep research or sorry, aging researcher. He did kind of the the really seminal work on fruit flies and rodents and things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so how studying pre-industrial societies can inform us about how to be healthy, research on smartphones and sleep uh, from with Professor Gene Duffy from Harvard, introduction to heart rate va- variability with Phyllis Stein. Uh, and then they had a, a follow-up with Stephen Guillenay um, after his debate with Gary Tobbs on the Joe Rogan experience. So that's just some of the recent episodes they've done. And then I actually was just saw if you find them on, follow them on SoundCloud, they actually have kind of sub channels. If you're just interested in following a particular topic that they talk about. So they have ketones OS or diet OS or physical activity OS, uh, probably sleep OS. So um, yeah, it's just a really good resource I found for kind of staying up to date with a lot of the, the current research on these uh, health-related topics. Yeah. I've dipped my toes into that podcast, but it looks like there's such a wonderful wealth of information and resource, research and resources and expertise there. I can't wait to explore it more. Yeah, great. Hope you enjoy it. Yeah. All right. So next week, we are going to talk about uh, the financier, how uh, the the kind of financial aspect of your life and your your personal finances. Mm-hmm. 
So this episode has been about your personal health and fitness, and now we're going to transition into your personal finances and that aspect of your life. But mm -hmm. let's tell everybody about the weekly challenge for this week. We actually have right. a two-part challenge for And this, this is a week. new one. So about, yes. Yeah, the all last few episodes, fitness. we've done the same one, but now this is a, a new challenge. So A new week, a new challenge. Mm-hmm. So do you want to tell people what the two parts are? Sure. So uh, first part, you know, if you have a moment right after you listen to this, uh, you can go to our Facebook page and uh, tell us about one new nutrition movement or recovery practice that you want to commit to experimenting with this week. Mm -hmm. And then the second part is by the end of the week, go back to the page and tell us what your results were or what steps you've taken to implement it. Exactly. So we really want to encourage all of you to be experimental and to be results oriented about these practices. So the first part, get it done earlier in the week. And then for the second part, just make sure you get it in by, uh, what is it, 11.59 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. By next and, Wednesday. Yep. yep. And for everybody who successfully completes both parts, you will be eligible to be uh, the winner in this week's drawing and whoever wins this week will get a deep coaching session with me. And so I can coach you about any three of these practices or really any aspect of productivity that might help you live a more high performance life. That sounds awesome. Am I eligible? <laughs> Maybe you've got to get both of your entries in on time. <laughs> All right. We'll see. <laughs> okay. That sounds good. And thank you everybody for tuning in and thank you, Joy. It was a fun discussion with you again. Oh, thank you, Ash. It's been great. Can't right. wait to see what we talk about next week. Okay. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this episode of Seeing Eye to Eye. You can find and subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, or via RSS. If you found value in this show, we'd love for you to give us a review on iTunes or tell a friend who might be interested. Don't forget, you can also join the Seeing Eye to Eye podcast Facebook group to participate in the weekly challenge, ask questions, and add to our growing conversation. See you next time!